James chapter 4, verses 6 through 10, these are God's words. But he gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Lament and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he will lift you up. So far the reading of God's inspired and inerrant word. And so we've just been hearing in uh, verses 4 and 5 that uh, friendship with the world or is enmity with God. That is to say, desiring uh, the world or things in it in a way that makes us come to God in prayer, not submitted to him, not valuing him uh, as God, uh, but rather valuing him as a way of obtaining the other thing that pleases us in or from the world, that treating God that way in prayer is enmity. But, just as we hear in Romans 8, he has given us his spirit uh, to help us to pray, because we do not know how to pray for what we ought. Uh, and also in Romans 5, that the Spirit pours out in our hearts like a drink offering, just gushes forth completely uh, the love of God, uh, of course, which is never exhausted. And so this same Spirit, he dwells in us and yearns, jealously. So not only does the Holy Spirit pour out into our hearts the love of God, but as he dwells in our hearts, he stirs up our love back to God. He is jealous for the love between us and God. Uh, and yet, we have this remaining sin uh, in which uh, our, our that sinfulness which remains from our former nature, loves the world instead of God. And so we need the powerful working of the Holy Spirit in us to help us have God as our chief pleasure and all other true pleasures as subsidiary to, participating in that pleasure we have in God, that we would only delight in those things that are for his sake. So how can we do that? Well, we can do it not by our power, but by God's power. And so, James continues now in the passage before us, he gives more grace. He gives more grace. So just as the Lord told Paul in Second Corinthians 12, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness, so also you will experience in your life that this issue of trying to exchange pleasures that you have enjoyed apart from God, forgetfully of God, and even pleasures that you have enjoyed in opposition to God, drawing some kind of pleasure or joy from sin, uh, and fighting against that to replace it with delighting in God himself, is one of the places where we feel our weakness the most. 
where we feel most helpless. Uh, in fact, we live in uh, a culture that is obsessed with the idea of addiction, uh, but it is not as if addiction has just begun. Uh, all sins have addictive qualities. Yes, there are some things that are um, more, you know, lay hold of the body more directly and so forth. We're not denying those things. Um, but exchanging fleshly pleasure, uh, whether pleasure for wrong things or pleasure for right things apart from God or in wrong proportions, exchanging fleshly pleasure for godly pleasure is one of the places where we feel our weakness the most. And one of the things that is most proud, then, is to try to do it by ourselves, not by the grace of God. Uh, one form that that takes uh, for many people uh, is they have an addiction of which they are embarrassed, and rather than availing themselves of the help that God has given them, uh, whether they're under shepherds in the church, or if it's uh, or if it's a child with the help of a parent, or if it's spouse, the help of a spouse, uh, they cover it up, they're ashamed, uh, and yet what they're saying when they do that is, I can do this in my own strength, uh, or they attempt to do it uh, uh, only by techniques that, uh, that uh, psychologists have come up with, or uh, using uh, medicines, that uh, uh, pharma psychiatry has come up with, uh, and they do not do it in dependence on the Lord himself using his means. And when we say using his means, we mean especially morning and evening, worship of God in his word, calling upon his name, singing his word, reading his word, uh, and then especially the Lord's Day and the Lord's Day assemblies. Uh, trying to just feel really nice about God is not necessarily using his means. Uh, and that which is emotionally driven uh, oftenly de often departs from the means as God has given uh, them to us uh, and turns aside to emotional-sounding songs. Uh, also, uh, although biblical friendship... Uh, and fellowship is a good thing. It is not a replacement for the shepherding relationships that God has given us. So even the uh, small group movement, uh, unless it is you know, led by elders and are shepherding groups by Christ's appointed under-shepherds, it too uh, is, uh, is a way of being proud of uh, our own ideas for fighting sin. But there is, even worse, that innate spirit of pride in the heart that either says, I can do it on my own, or even, I do not need to do it at all, because these things that I delight in that are worldly, uh, in which I am not remembering God and not delighting Him, uh, in him in them, uh, they please me, and therefore God should be pleased that I have them. Uh, and that is a great arrogance that sets us in the place of God himself. I once sat in a room with a woman who was intent on divorcing her husband. She did not really have any good reason except that she was not enjoying herself in her marriage. And, and the basic theme was, 
God wants me to be happy, and having to stay in a marriage that doesn't make me happy uh, is abuse. Uh, and therefore, since God would never want me to be miserable, this must be a good thing. This is to be proud. And this is very dangerous. Because as soon as we have elevated ourselves, elevated ourselves above others, elevated pleasing ourselves above pleasing God, elevated our own ideas of how to be sanctified over against what God has provided and he himself in what he has provided. Any of this pride makes God our enemy. God opposes the proud. Or as it says here, God resists the proud. No, we need more grace. We need more of God's strength in our weakness. And so we need to come before him in humility, depending upon him, receiving that grace, receiving not according to what we deserve, but according to what Christ deserves, not according to our weakness, but according to his strength. He gives more grace, therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. What a generous and faithful God. He will always be faithful to this word. He will always keep his word. But as we humble ourselves before him, as we see that it is wicked and enmity for us to have pleasure that is apart from him in the world, especially pleasure and sin, as we see that what we need is him in the ways that he has appointed, and we draw near to him in those ways, we will find that he works by his grace in us and helps us. He gives grace to the humble. This is very important because it is not just we, our flesh, and God who are involved. We continue in verse 7, Therefore submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The devil from the beginning, from the temptation in the garden, from the fall, has been trying to convince people that there are ideas that may be added to God's ideas uh, for how to image him and how to be in fellowship with him. This is how Eve was deceived. The first couple of uh, attempts, or the first attempt, did not work, but it was when he convinced her that this was the way of being made like God. And she was deceived by uh, permitting the devil to continue to talk to her. Instead of saying, no, God has given me one whom he has set over me to teach me uh, his word. Uh, and Adam, of course, uh, he was not deceived. He was enjoying the idea that he could actually be in the place of God. He did not think that he was going to be like God, that he was going to be imaging God. He was willful, des desiring uh, to determine for himself what is good and what is evil. Uh, and that is exactly the situation uh, when we have pleasures that are uh, apart from God or competing with God or even pleasures in that which is more uh, directly sinful. We are wanting to decide for ourselves what is good and what is evil. Uh, and so the Lord here, as he has given us uh, his means uh, and reminded us that we uh, need to fight sin by his grace, 
he gives us this wonderful promise, instruction, sorry. He gives us this wonderful instruction and attaches it to it a wonderful promise. A wonderful instruction, resist the devil. Who are we that we may resist the devil? We are those who are united to Christ. We are those who are humbled before God. And God gives more grace. He gives grace. And his spirit within us fights against the flesh. Uh, and so one of the big parts uh, of uh, fighting against sin is resisting the devil. Giving sin. Giving the flesh. Giving the devil that first strong no. And then... Uh, and then following it by every wave of tem- uh, in every wave of temptation, no, no, no. Uh, and uh, the great way of doing that no and, and sustaining that no is drawing near to God. Not just no, no, I belong to God. No, I'm humbled beneath God. No, I have the Spirit who gives grace. He dwells in me. He yearns jealously for God. No, I am united uh, to Christ, and I will not join uh, myself to sin. Uh, I will not join that which is united to Christ to sin. Uh, and so you'd resist the devil as the, the wonderful command, and we're going to get some more instruction about that, especially in verses 8 and 9. Uh, but also this wonderful promise, he will flee from you. And we've seen this happen before. Remember not too long ago in our uh, in our uh, preaching and hearing in Matthew with the Lord Jesus and the devil attempting to tempt him uh, and the Lord Jesus giving him that no, resisting him by his relationship with God, resisting him uh, by his... Uh, by his depending on God's word and trusting God's word without having to prove it uh, and seeking the promises in God's word by the assignments of God's word, not seeking the promises of God's word in his own way. And so the Lord Jesus resisting the devil very much in the same way that we have been talking about. And what does the devil eventually do? He gives up. He flees. He leaves him alone until a more opportune time. Uh, but there is no time so opportune that he could overcome Christ. And so the one to whom we are united, and uh, the one who dwells in our hearts by faith and by the work of his Spirit and by the indwelling of his Spirit, he is the one who is with us. And so uh, we draw near to God by submitting ourselves to him and by seeking his grace in the Son and by the Spirit through the means that he has appointed, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Now, I grew up not understanding what this drawing near to God was. Uh, I would try merely to uh, to kind of bring my heart to God internally and have feelings about him. Now, bringing your heart to God is a is a real thing, and it's not a wrong thing. Uh, but he has given us means, he's given us his word to meditate upon. And as you meditate upon his word, uh, you uh, you know and you increasingly realize throughout your life uh, that your God has not just has spoken to you uh, by that word once, in which time it was inscribed and scripturated on a piece of paper, 
but that the Spirit actively uses that word uh, to give you fellowship with God in your uh, in your thinking uh, upon His word before Him and asking Him uh, uh, for help to uh, believe it, well, to understand it. Sometimes we don't understand it as well, uh, uh, and also to be believe it and be convinced and remember it in the times that we need to remember it and. Uh, to make it fruitful in our hearts, to give us ability to obey it. Uh, and so uh, there is this drawing near to God that is in, uh, that is in his means. And then uh, again, uh, at those particular times that he is given, in the morning and in the evening and all day long on the Lord's day, when God has set apart, aside time, set apart time for us to draw near to him, uh, those are the great times of drawing near but there is also the drawing near in the life the drawing near of submitting to him and depending upon his grace in all things the drawing near of being determined to delight in him not in ourselves not in our flesh not in our earthly pleasure apart from him and certainly not in sin uh, so he's he says draw near to god and he will draw near to you uh, another reminder that uh, God is faithful to all of his promises and all of his truth. If we humble ourselves, verse 6, he gives grace to the humble. If we draw near to him, especially in the means of grace, with our hearts sincerely drawing near to him by use of those means, uh, he will draw near to us. Well, there is one who cannot abide the presence of the living God. Now we understand especially why the devil must flee. Uh, a man might learn to sing God's praise, uh, perhaps vocally, verbally, uh, at least in his heart, to draw near to God whenever uh, whenever he uh, is tempted. The, uh, the devil cannot abide the presence of God. Uh, and so we must meditate upon uh, his word, God's word, and call upon his name uh, and have that fellowship with him, most of all, when we are under temptation. And there is something else, though, that cannot abide the presence of God, and that is our remaining sin. And so we mustn't think that we are able to draw near to God without repentance. We are, mustn't think that we are uh, that we are able to draw near to God without changing things that we do and changing things uh, that we feel and think. We must cleanse our hearts. Sorry, we must cleanse our hands to draw near to God. Cleanse our hands, ye sinners. Purify your hearts, you double-minded. In other words, you can't think uh, at sometimes, well, God is the chief thing in my life. He is the chief pleasure. And at other times, I'm having other pleasure now in which I'm not delighting in God. Or I'm having pleasure in this thing that harms my soul. You know, one way that has uh, come up recently that was convicted about just again this past Saturday evening uh, was entertainments late on the Saturday uh, that are not the sort that prepare our minds and hearts. Uh, directly for the Lord's day. Yeah, it wasn't uh, particularly uh, filthy or anything like that. It just wasn't 
Uh, it wasn't single-minded with the the goal of knowing God and belonging to him and living with him the way that we should. We cannot be double-minded. We cannot have two main priorities in our life. God is the main priority, and everything else uh, must be bent to serve him and participate in that as well as possible. Uh, and so in order to draw near to God, we need not only to cleanse our hands from sin, but also to purify our hearts, to be single-minded with our hearts. Uh, and this will mean that some things that we used to uh, take much pleasure in, much joy in, they become grievous to us because they have uh, come to be either, or we have come to see that they were either against God or in competition with him, um, uh, against this cleansing or against this single-mindedness. And so there are things that you used to love and laugh uh, in and enjoy that we should train ourselves to lament and mourn and weep over. So, uh, for instance, with the example of the Saturday night thing, uh, where it was something where uh, there was genuine laughing and enjoyment, perhaps even that would not have been inappropriate at, uh, at another time. But learning to, instead of laughing and enjoying a, a, it, to weep over it, to grieve over it, because it's robbing me uh, of being prepared, mind and heart, uh, for the Lord's day. But this applies to uh, to all other sins and, and all other conflicted priorities uh, that we learn to lament and mourn and weep over the very things that we had taken pleasure in before. Uh, that someone who is given to gossip, for uh, for instance, and that the, they would uh, grieve and hate to speak uh, about someone else. Uh, rather than taking that pleasure they did, uh, or uh, or any other sin. Uh, this principle of learning by the grace of the Spirit to grieve over what grieves the Spirit, and to rejoice over what gladdens the Spirit. Lament and mourn, and let your laughter be turned to mourning, and your joy to gloom. You say, well, God wants me to be happy. No, God wants you to be happy in himself. There are lots of things that God wants you to be miserable about, that God wants you to cry and grieve and hate. Uh, and one of the big parts of the Christian life is growing by his grace in grieving over what grieves him and mourning over and lamenting whatever uh, is against him or in competition with him. And he concludes again in verse 10 uh, with a similar thought then. To verse 6, humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord. This time, not the lowering yourself of dependence upon his grace and drawing near, uh, but the lowering yourself in uh, afflicting yourself, grieving and mourning over uh, that which you had previously so much enjoyed, uh, that we would be willing um, to come to call evil what God calls evil, and to call good what God calls good, and to bemoan uh, our own remaining sinfulness. And he will lift us up. He will lift us up by giving us grace to fight that sinfulness. He will lift us up by giving us that joy, that delight in himself, which, of course, is not only instead of worldly joy, but is 
deeper and greater than any worldly joy. Uh, and this is the lifting up. It's not saying you know, everyone be self-deprecating around other people and God will do something to make them see how awesome you are. Uh, that is not what he's saying in this passage. He's saying, afflict yourself uh, for and in your sin. Depend upon him um, and his grace in your battle against sin. Draw near to him, and he will lift you out of the affliction, the grief over your sin, all the way to the great joy that is even the joy of the Lord Jesus from all eternity in in his divine nature, delighting in God. God will bring you to the place where you are one who delights in God, and there is nothing uh, that we could desire uh, more than that. There's nothing we ought to desire, nothing more desirable than that. So let us pray and ask God to help us. Our gracious God and our Heavenly Father, we pray that you would give us humility to depend upon your power and our sanctification, that you would give more grace that we would know the fellowship of your Spirit in this, that we would draw near to you in your means, and that using your means, your Spirit would grant to us to be sincere of heart and genuinely bring our hearts and our minds to you at those times. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us in the time when sin is presented to us to give the first strong no and a subsequent strong no to every wave of temptation until the word is fulfilled and the devil does flee. We pray, Lord, that you would make us to count anything that is clouding our uh, our minds or dulling our hearts towards you uh, as a grief and not a joy. Don't let us, O oh Lord, have your word and fellowship with you and depending upon you and loving and serving you. Don't let us have it uh, choked out either by the cares of the world or by the pleasures of the world, but rather, O oh Lord, make us to grieve over any pleasure that would do that. And so we pray that you would help us in this spiritual discipline, in this heart discipline of afflicting ourselves for our sins, of being humiliated before you for our sins. And we pray that your Spirit also would bring to fulfillment the promise that you will lift us up, that you will give us sanctification, that you will give us mortification of those sins, that you will give us vivification of Christ and the grace uh, that bears fruit in our lives by his Spirit, and that you would lift us up all the way to enjoying you, delighting in you, and knowing your love and pleasure in us, which we know, O God, you have set upon us even from before the world began in your Son, our Lord Jesus, through whom we ask it. Amen.